Welcome to the Nurse Shark Academy Show, a Baxter Professional Services production. And welcome to the Nurse Shark Academy Show. I'm Tina Baxter, and your host. Our mission at the Nurse Shark Academy Show is to expand the consciousness of nurses as experts to reflect their individual and collective power by promoting self-agency through inspiring nurses to dream big, reach far, and soar to new heights in business and the profession of nursing, thereby producing a healthier and richer society. The Nurse Shark Academy Show highlights nurse business owners and others in the healthcare field who promote entrepreneurship. We invite nurse leaders for the interview and encourage them to tell their story. We want to welcome as our guest today, uh, Monica Sanford, and this episode is How One Nurse with a Passion for Cardiac Nursing Used Her Influence in Public Policy. And welcome to the Nurse Shark Academy show. I'm Tina Baxter, and I'm your hostess. We're the Nurse Shark Academy, where we're experts in nurses and experts in business. Our mission at the Nurse Shark Academy is to expand the consciousness of nurses as experts to reflect their individual and collective power by promoting self-agency through inspiring nurses to dream big, reach far, and soar to new heights in business and the profession of nursing, thereby producing a healthier and richer society. The Nurse Shark Academy show highlights nurse business owners and others in the healthcare field who promote entrepreneurship. We interview nurse leaders and encourage them to tell their story. We want to welcome to today's show, Monica Sanford. Monica is coming out of Pensacola, Florida, and congratulations. She just uh, completed her doctorate in nursing practice. So welcome to Dr. Monica Sanford. Thank you so much. Thank I, you. I, I love, I love uh, Pensacola, Florida right now. It's a uh, nice, nice for the summer. Hopefully it's not too hot and humid yet. Yeah. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, What made you become a nurse? So I am, I have been a nurse for uh, right about 30 years, but I started when my son was born, actually. Um, He's 32 now. I started, went back to school to be a nurse when he was born with a, a severe congenital heart defect. So everything I have done in nursing has been geared toward cardiology patients. So he was uh, born 32 years ago, has had uh, five heart surgeries since then. He graduated high school. He's doing great. But, uh, and that's what, you know, living into adulthood now with congenital heart disease is the norm, not the exception. So uh, to me, everything I have done in nursing has either been CVICU, uh, cath lab, uh, any kind of, and as a nurse practitioner, the past 10 years has been cardiac, uh, any kind of critical care and any kind of cardiac. So, and very involved in uh, American Heart Association, American College of Cardiology, uh, just to raise awareness and advocacy for congenital heart patients. So I got, I got into it because of my son was born with a heart uh, defect. Okay. And, and so that helps you to not only at that time, you know, help your son and understand what was happening with your son. But it sounds like it turned into a passion to help other um, children that had those issues as well. Right. Well, it, when he was born, I literally, I was in business. I had a business degree before uh, nursing and he was born and I said, I have to go back to school to learn how to take care of him. So that was exactly why I went to take care of him. And then uh, throughout the years, uh, strangely enough, now I, I, can't take care of kids because I don't I don't want to see kids sick. That's especially heart patients, heart babies. Um, so I do all adults, and my certification is in adult gerontology, acute care, NP, and uh, so everything I do is either 
cardiology or inpatient hospitalist as the admitting hospitalist for a, you know, a hospitalist group. If you're being admitted to the hospital, I'll go down and do your admission. So uh, everything I do is kind of critical care, acute care, uh, focusing on cardiology. And my DMP project actually was all about uh, congenital heart disease. So, and I have done a lot of things in health policy for um, raising awareness and advocacy for different bills for uh, funding, appropriations, surveillance, registries, things like that for uh, adult congenital population or all congenital population. But I do sit on the, um, I'm the only nurse practitioner on the Pediatric Congenital Technical Advisory Panel for the state of Florida. Uh, I'm a non-voting member. Uh, all the other members are uh, CV surgeons or cardiology, pediatric cardiology. So I, I do sit on those uh, board calls for, you know, what is going on in the world of pediatric cardiology around the state of Florida. Well, that, that's wonderful. So I'm with an organization called Nurses on Boards and particularly with our Indiana Coalition. And mm -hmm. so I'm just wondering, have you uh, let them know that you're on that? Because we're advocating to having more nurses sit on the boards and hopefully one day having a voting membership on the board. Oh, very cool. I was uh, on the American College of Cardiology, the board for the state of Florida. I was ju I just rolled off after three years uh, on that board. And I've been on the Pediatric Cardiology Technical Advisory Panel, and that was a gubernatorial appointed uh, mm -hmm. from uh, Governor DeSantis uh, on that board. So I would love to hear more about uh, what you do on in the, uh, what was it called? The board? It, it nurses, nurses on Boards. And so it's a uh -huh. coalition of different organizations, and I'm on their listserv. And because I, I don't know how I came across it, I, it just popped up one day, I guess, on my email, maybe from the ANA, I don't know, American Nurses Association. Right. And so I saw that and they had an Indiana coalition and they were looking for board members for your local area. And one of them happened to be a Meals on Wheels, which was in the next county over. And so because it was on the next county and I, my specialty is geriatrics as well. Um, and I wanted to work with older adults, I thought this is a perfect way for me to get back into working with that program because it's been such a long time since I'd been part of Meals on Wheels. And I just rotated off the board um, this past January. Oh, well, very cool. Yeah, we'll have to check it out. I know because um, I am the local Northwest Florida here in the Panhandle. I'm the Northwest Florida uh, president of our Northwest Florida network, uh, nurse practitioner network. Uh, which is a state run by the state, but um, so I'm the president for the local one. And I know the state one always kind of uh, comes out and says, are you sitting on any boards? Are you doing, you know, things like that to let them know. But, uh, and in 2020, I was um, the, you know, winner of the A&P um, advocacy award for the state of Florida and advocating for uh, different things. I go to capital here in Tallahassee for the state, uh, for either NP issues, any kind of nurse practitioner practice issues or cardiology issues. I'm usually in Tallahassee for one of those things. So, Okay, that sounds great because adv advocating um, as a nurse and a nurse practitioner on the political spectrum and regulatory affairs is very important. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on today was to talk about that process because there's a lot of nurses out there that may want to say something, but don't know how. So how would someone get involved um, on either a, a local um, stage, 
statewide or even national. Right. And it is to reach out to your local uh, nurse practitioner or nursing, your FNA, uh, your ANA, think your local chapters and the local chapters always have, uh, we try to, the last time I went to Tallahassee, we took about 25 students with us um, from the local uh, University of West Florida, where I'm a faculty, and just showing them the process of, I like to say, you know, everybody tells you to use your inside voice. I want you to use your outside voice. You need to tell people what you need. The uh, representatives, the senators, they don't need, they don't, they don't know what you need until you tell them. So um, I would definitely encourage uh, anyone that wants to get involved in local politics is know your um, mayor, know your county commissioners, know your city council, uh, things to that effect, because all of those affect what you do in nursing. I am a volunteer at a, a local free clinic here, and I was discussing with our county commissioners at one time uh, the bus route. Because the county, it was a county bus, and we needed that bus station there at um, near our near our free clinic. So anything like that, it makes a difference in um, you know any social determinants of health type thing. You you are going to go for a public policy issue, a health policy issue, uh, to speak to your representatives or senators. They always have uh, district hours, meaning you can go speak to them locally where you are. And then you can always go to your state capital and just tell them what you need and uh, why you need it in about three minutes or less. They love that. <laughs> and, uh, and ask them what you, you know, want them to support or oppose and what you need. And so let's let's back up a little bit because I want our listeners, in case they have questions and don't understand, describe what you mean by social determinants of health. I know what you mean, but I want our listeners to understand. Any kind of, it can be insurance, it can be racial disparities and equities, it can be location, do they not have transportation to get to a free clinic or a hospital, do they not have, um, you know, like I said, the insurance or payments or they are homeless or any kind of, um, any kind of thing that affects them, their access to care. So if they have some kind of barrier to that access to care, that is up to us as nurses and nurse practitioners to identify those barriers to care. Um, so we identify them in the patient population that we're caring for and try to break down those barriers, try to increase their access however we can, whether it's, um, you know, I just did uh, something, I just went to see actually our governor speak and he was uh, talking about getting broadband to locations around that didn't have internet. So they couldn't get telehealth, you know, things like that. So they have no internet access. They had no way to even have, some of them didn't have cell phones, coverage, things like that. So anything that is a barrier to uh, their, you know, someone receiving their care. Well, I was gonna say during the pandemic, that was one of the things that we faced in Indiana was did people have access to a uh, the internet to do telehealth? And it, right. you know, for some of them, it was you have to use a telephone, you know, a landline. <laughs> that was yeah. the only access that they had. And if they did have access, uh, a lot of times either their cell phones were too old, they had a government phone, so they didn't have a lot of minutes. Right. Uh, so you had to worry about those things. So there were a lot of barriers. And the other thing is that I happen to live in what's called a food desert. 
So when you don't have access to, to food, you can't get the fresh produce, you don't have access to meat, you have to go a long distance to get that. How are you going to tell someone who's diabetic to have a better diet when they don't have access to those things? And the closest place they can go to would be a convenience store or uh, one of the um, outlet stores. And so, yeah, and that is the free clinic I'm at. We actually have a pantry, a food pantry for. Uh, just what you're talking about, people that do live in the uh, food deserts, getting them. But some people don't even realize that home, you know, you're telling homeless people to take these medications or these things. They don't have a refrigerator to keep their meds in or to keep their food in, you know. So we would have to, you know, keep that in mind when we're even giving food out to people is they don't have a can opener. So everything has to be a pop top or just a tear off, you know. So everything you keep in mind to let them have access to food, to medicine, to care, uh, to, you know, any kind of um, cleanliness, hygiene type thing. So anything that we see that is a barrier, we try to, um, you know, break down those barriers. Now, and, and some people, you know, they, they, and if there's new nurses listening, you have, you're always going to hear that equity versus equality. And to me, I tell the new nurses, equality is if I walk in a room and give you all a pair of shoes. And then equity is if I walk in the room and give you all a pair of shoes that fit you. So it is that type of you have to give people the care that they need, not just everybody the same care. Yes. Yes. And so um, knowing that you're still a practicing clinician and all Mm -hmm. those things, how did you get involved and the the policy work and and you know how you're doing it um with your show because i understand you also have a podcast and you talk to you said on your podcast you invite local politicians leaders um etc influencers so how did you get started with doing that well it started as just a hobby because i do i did teach health policy i love health policy about uh it's been quite a few years now 2017 um I went to Capitol Hill in DC and talking about congenital heart disease uh, appropriations and funding and things like that. And actually the bill that we were working on was the Congenital Heart Futures Reauthorization Act, which was signed um, by President Trump at that time uh, for funding for NIH and CDC for congenital heart disease. So we go to Capitol Hill, we talk to senators, representatives, and tell them we need this funding for whatever your passion is. Um, and then locally, I always go to my local representative, local senators for either ACC, the American College of Cardiology, American Heart Association. I go to legislative conferences. I go to legislative, what we call fly-ins, where we all get together and just fly into the Capitol and kind of storm the Capitol and tell everybody what we need. Um, then I started and my podcast, I started wanting to talk to the local politicians and it's not all politicians that I have on there. It just seems to be, uh, very heavy in politicians, especially around, uh, you know, voting season. Um, so if somebody, I like to have on the challengers of somebody that is going against the incumbent to me, the incumbent, they've had time to say, you know, what they need to say and do what they need to do. So the challengers, I want to have them on and let them, you know, ask, you know, ask questions, me ask questions and let them tell my listeners why they're going to do better or what they're going to do. And um, but I've had sheriffs on, CEOs, leaders, veterans, 
um, you know, all kinds of, it, it's basically anybody I want to talk to about anything we want to talk about at that time. Today I had uh, a couple of veterans on talking about Memorial Day things um, and events coming up. So it is just a fun, to me, health policy is fun. And you go and you can literally make a difference in your local uh, public health policy and your local public or your local, um, you know, just any kind of health care that is going on locally for you and then make a difference at the national level, at the federal level. When you go and start talking about uh, nurse practitioners right now that was in the uh, recent session is writing even just cardiopulmonary rehab, you know, that we're going to be allowed to do, you know, write for rehab things. So our right for diabetic shoes, you know, things like that, that are governed by kind of CMS federal things. Um, yes. You know, we, you know, go to uh, our, our, not just our state representative, but our U.S. representative and ask them for certain things. Yes, I've been up to uh, D.C. myself as well. It's as fun, well. it's addicting. Yeah, as well as uh, to our local state house many times on several issues um, through CAPNI, a Coalition of Advanced Practice Nurses in Indiana. And so um, we are active in uh, going up there and letting them know what the real issues are. And unfortunately, uh, there has been some, and I'm pretty sure people know, a lot of um, backlash um, in the media. And there's a big push from the American Medical Association with the Stop the Creep uh, initiative. Right, right. <laughs> Where they're talking about nurse practitioners and others wanting to take over and <laughs> um, take their jobs. I actually uh, read an article in MedPage today uh, where some ER physicians were talking about nurse practitioners and physician assistants were coming for their jobs. <laughs> and so, you know, having to weather some of that criticism can sometimes be difficult when you're talking to your state representatives because they're hearing from the other side. So right. how do you advocate for yourself in your position without vilifying the other side? Uh, that I almost never bring up the other side unless they ask me a specific question. I'm not there to kind of bully the other side or, you know, fight their fight type thing. It's I read the bill from top to bottom, you know, or I know my issue top to bottom and just very succinctly tell them what we need, what I need to do better for healthcare. If you keep it all at the patient level and this is going to help me take care of you know patients better, or this is what my patients need. Um, it's very hard for somebody to come back and say, you know, anything negative toward you offering patient care. Um, so it, to me, I always go in saying, you know, and most of the time I know what side of the fence they're on. I know if they're a pro or you know opposing or supporting nurse practitioners. Um, but to me, I talk to both sides because I also. Uh, take that as a uh, education opportunity to show them what we do and what we can do and what we offer to our patients. And they will definitely come back sometimes with um, questions from the other side or, and we just tell them with facts, you know, litigation has not gone up across, you know, 30 plus states now that have uh, autonomous NP practice. Care has gone up. Access to care has gone up. Barriers have come down. 
you know, people are being, you know, educated more on uh, their chronic illnesses. So if you just keep it coming back around to your executive summary, I call it my executive summary, have your three or four points that you will always come back to and uh, always come back to your executive talking points and saying, this is going to be safer for either the patients or be safer for uh, the healthcare providers, which we just had uh, two safety bills go through Florida this year, uh, and they're about to be signed by the governor. Um, so two safety bills that are for healthcare providers, and this is why we need them, which is going to benefit everybody in the OR, not just the NPs or the nurses, gonna, the doctors, the physicians, surgeons, things. Um, and then you just, so you just have all your facts, all your facts in a row, all your executive talking points in a row, and you just stick to facts. Don't let anybody throw you off either emotionally or, you know, because it can get, uh, sometimes somebody has come back and said, how can you say you do this? How can you, you know, and you just bring it, you know, calmly uh, remind them that you are offering access to care for their constituents, their, uh, the state of Florida or, are y'all autonomous practice in Indiana? No, we have a collaborative practice agreement. Okay. And we just went to autonomous after, you know, a certain amount of hours practicing and think you have a whole list of things you have to do uh, mm -hmm. to be autonomous. But uh, I actually met with the one of the senators that was opposing that bill and just answered all her questions and answered all of them calmly. And and it passed. I mean, she didn't vote for it, of course, but it she she actually then kind of. Uh, you know, as soon as you're the calm in the room and you're the expert in the room of healthcare, then they realize that. I would say 99.9% .9 of them realize you're the expert in healthcare in that room. There's a phenomenon that's also going on across the country, and, and I have another show, which I cover news items, so I've been keeping a watch on some of these things, um, to where they're putting into the... the um, uh, law that nurse practitioners can't call themselves doctor. Now, I know you just right. got your doctorate. So um, I'm just curious, is there, you know, as someone who's in healthcare policy, how do you respond to that when they say, well, do you call yourself doctor when you walk in the room to see a patient? Well, that just passed actually in the state of Florida. So in the state of Florida, we just have called what what's called the title bill. I talked to all of my representative senators about it because the first bill that came out uh, what didn't even have my certification on it and didn't have meaning my acute care NP. It didn't have family NP. It didn't have, it was just, it was a mess. So I went and talked to them and said, if you're going to do this, you have got to do it right. And you have to allow us to be called doctors in an academic setting because there was just a broad street. You can never call, you know, a broad uh, sweep uh, that we could never say doctor, period. And um, and so then it kind of cleaned it up uh, a bunch. It added all the certifications. Even some of the doctors came out and didn't want this bill uh, because it didn't have ophthalmology or optometry you know it was it was it was a complete mess so read the entire bill and then you go to them with the facts and say okay if you're going to do this we need to do this correctly we need to do this right and we need to allow us to say doctor and whatever certification you are and so now i can say you know doctor monica sanford 
acute care nurse practitioner somewhere, but that it has to be on your card, your lab coat, your shingle, if you open your own practice. Uh, so it has to be notifying your patients. It has to be up on the wall in your clinic, uh, things like that, that you're a nurse practitioner. So on your website, um, things like that. Um, so we've already had, um, you know, people not complain, but they're saying, you know, these nurse practitioners calling themselves doctors without nurse practitioner anywhere on their websites or advertising that needs to change. The bill doesn't go into effect until July. So I have been literally spending the past few weeks here, you know, prior, you know, it, you know, sending out the education, sending out the notices to all of my nurse practitioners in my network saying, this is coming, it's signed. Uh, I need to make sure that uh, in an academic setting, it's okay. But if you're in a clinic setting, you have to introduce yourself as a nurse practitioner. Well, the, a similar case happened in California. I don't know if you've heard about that, but the nurse practitioner that got sued because she had on her website called Dr. I can't remember her name. I was thinking Dr. Angie or whatever. Right. And so um, she had to take it down for her website. I think she had to pay something like $25,000 or something mm -hmm. as a fine because she didn't list specifically out that she was a nurse practitioner and she had opened up her own practice, which oddly enough, the physicians that she had been working with also called her doctor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be stickler for, uh, you know, kind of until it sifts out a little bit, but uh, because it is, you know, they are already, it says specifically on there, you cannot misrepresent yourself. Um, you know, so it, until everybody kind of gets the gist of it, but here in, it's also a certification um, issue here. We've had nurse practitioners that are acute care NPs trying to open up a primary care practice and you can't do that. You know, you have to be a family nurse practitioner to open up a primary care clinic. Uh, so it goes both ways. And now it's a big push, I'm sure, in uh, all around the country, I'm seeing it, that you are a FNP, a family NP, primary care. You know, you're going to have to get your acute care NP to be able to practice in a critical care setting. Right. You know, so it's kind of coming. But even in this bill before it passed, it didn't have, you know, certified nurse midwives or C it just had CRNA mainly. That was the only thing it had. So it was... Uh, you know, and the next bill coming up, they've tried for it a few times. CRNA is trying to get autonomous practice too. Is in the state right now, Florida, it's only FNP that can be autonomous. You have to be family nurse practitioner to be able to open your own primary care practice and be independent. Like I couldn't be, I'm acute care. I can't be uh, unless I go back and get dual certified. And so that, that's important for people to understand, because I think a lot of times uh, and you have to look at what your state law is. Right. Because Definitely. certain states allow you to do things where other states do not. And um, it can be very difficult sometimes to know when you move to a state. I remember um, I had some friends who were moving up to I think it was Michigan and they were worried they'd have to surrender their DEA. <laughs> oh, wow. All of a sudden, because it's like they're moving to Michigan and the, and their DEA, uh, there's something about it didn't cover and they had to have a, a certain thing. And and so you have to know where, you, where you're moving to, what your state's laws are. And that's why I think it's important that every nurse periodically reviews their state nurse practice act. 
Right, definitely. But as, as far as nationally, like my, we're all board certified, national board certified. So yeah. it is a national, we follow the LACE, the LACE model, uh, license, accreditation, certification, education. Uh, so if your education program did not prepare you for acute care or family, go back to your another program and get recertified uh, just so you are aligned with the patient population you're taking care of. And there's no question. Just don't, if you never have let anybody, you know, question that and you are certified to be doing what you're doing, you know, that at least you have that legal leg to stand on. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yes, you are correct. I would encourage everybody to, because it's not just state by state sometimes, it is institution by institution. You know, yes. make sure you are following everything correctly. And, and I, you know, I, I, I'm a legal nurse consultant. So one of the things I do oh, well. is, no. look at that nursing standard of care and um because of the new show i've been following some things and nurses have done some things that are outside of their scope and i'm not talking about nurse practitioners i'm talking about bedside nurses right. um there is a case here in indiana where a patient was presumably terminal had copd had covid and decided that he didn't want to be uh have oxygen anymore he just wanted to you know peacefully pass daughter was okay with it nurse took took the mask off didn't get a physician's order yeah and it's knowing what you can and can't do and operating in that scope is going to be very important for nurses to kind of review that and i understand she was following the patient's wishes she was being altruistic i i, I totally understand that but that opens you up to things and you have to know what is legally allowed and not legally allowed and um yeah, refusal the from the patient is one thing but you aiding that exactly so that's yeah. a, and then you always difficult. go and document and call and say hey he refuses oxygen yeah. <laughs> you exactly. know that's what yeah. you do that's um hard. yeah so it's it's a lot of that's cool lot that of you things. do legal too it, legally i mean because there's a ton of great i'm working on abstract uh right now uh with a Duke nurse practitioner. She runs the acute care program up there, the mm -hmm. realignment program, meaning she has a ton of, you know, FNPs now that are coming to her to get recertified acute care. So there's those programs everywhere around the country now. Um, so yeah, just stay within your scope, stay within your certification, just do things the right way, stay in your lane and <laughs> it, yep. it will make everybody happy. Yes, I have another meeting later tonight because there is no road for geropsychiatry. Oh, wow. So we are looking at creating a road for geropsychiatry. What do you mean? Like a psych mental health specifically for gero? Yes. Is is there one for Pete's? I don't there know. Is. I don't do stuff. There is one oh, for Pete's. Okay. There's not That's one cool. for Gero. <laughs> and Hello. so um, as a gerontology person, I'm like, well, we need to have that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so those are those discussions and practice is ever changing, right? We 100%. go with the evidence, the, not, the data, we evolve. And I think that's where part of the problem is coming is there's an evolution in healthcare and not everyone is on the train yet, right? right? Um, and, and it's going to continue, you know, 10 years from now, me and you will, you know, be going, you're certified in what, you know, it's like, yeah. they will have certifications to do procedures at bedside or surgeries, things like that, that 
you know, I would have never thought of, but now we're thinking of it, especially with AI and all kinds of things coming down. So with technology advancing so much, yeah. you know, my, this, I'm going to show my geek credit here, but my hope and goal one day is to be just like Star Trek where we have a little tricorder. We just look and see what's going on with you, press a button, zap you with the Vapo spray and you're cured. <laughs> I want that. <laughs> that would be very cool. Very helpful. So. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, it's, it's still evolving the transformational, you know, healthcare right now. And that's why I love actually, you know, the DNP that I just got. Vanderbilt was very into, you know, transformational leadership as the nurse, as the nurse practitioner. Uh, so it is being not just at that bedside, but you're at the Capitol building trying to change healthcare for the future. You know, things like that, because it is, it is just moving at, like you said, you know, kind of, what'd you say, Star Wars? Star Wars pace. Star Trek. Star Trek, sorry. <laughs> don't, don't, don't come for me, Star Wars fans, please. Sorry, sorry, I am sorry. a fan of both. <laughs> I, I have I saw maybe the first Star Wars, God, 30 years ago, 35, 40 years ago. And I, so, so yeah, sorry, don't come for me either, because I haven't seen them. <laughs> And so um, as, as we get ready to wrap up, how would a nurse, we've talked about how they can get involved in policy on the local level, um, going to their state organization or their local organization and being involved. But um, how could a, a nurse contact you if they wanted to learn more from you? Yeah, definitely. My email is MMM Sanford. It's my last name. So it's three M's and then my last name. MMM Sanford at hotmail.com is usually the fastest. That is how I uh, check my email on my computer and my phone constantly. Uh, my podcast is the Monica Sanford show on Spotify and uh, Monica Sanford on LinkedIn is also the second best. I check that constantly. Uh, so Monica Sanford on LinkedIn, Monica Sanford on Facebook. Um, I post all any podcast I'm on or all my podcasts from my show. I post it on my pages. So I, I'm very into the social media. I have my Twitter um, but it is, um, yeah, anytime somebody wants to send me a message on Facebook, LinkedIn, email, I try to get right back to them. But yeah, definitely check with your uh, local and state uh, nurse practitioner or nurse network here, uh, here in Florida, Florida Nurse Association. Your nurse association is going to be a wealth of knowledge for anything you want to do. Great. And I, I, hope, I wholeheartedly agree. I think that... Um, nurses are starting to be more involved in the political aspect of political sphere. And my hope is that more nurses will be running for office soon too. 100%. Yeah. So I, I know never, and I wanted to at one time, I probably will again one day, but right now I'm having fun doing what I do. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes there, there's, there's a, a way to advocate by just being the voice in the mic. And then there's yeah. other ways that you can actually be, boots on the ground and actually running for an office. Right. I, you know, I, I myself am not, I keep telling people, I am not running for political office. Do not ask me anymore. <laughs> well, your uh, senator actually, uh, or representative, Lauren Underwood, isn't she Indiana? No. Is that Lauren Underwood? I, I could have swore she was Indiana, but uh, she was a nurse or she is a nurse, but I have to look back and think now. I guess we do have a nurse, but I don't think that's her name. But I'll have to double check. Lauren Underwood. I don't. I, I, don't know. I thought that was her, but and I know her just because she's a nurse and uh, she's also a congenital patient, a congenital heart patient. She has a pacemaker, which she's very oh. open about. So, 
yeah, I, I try to follow her. And she came to Vanderbilt to speak one time. And I, I could have swore it was Indiana, but it may be completely a different state, <laughs> a different part of the country. Well, uh, Illinois. Illinois. Oh, gosh. Sorry. Okay. Mm -hmm. I know it started with an I. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it started with an I. I was, I, you know, I quickly looked her up. I said, let me Google her. Oh, very cool. Like, yeah. Yeah. She's from uh, Representative uh, from Illinois' 14th District. Okay. Yep. She's a nurse. So, and we have a couple of nurses here running for uh, state Senate down South Florida. So we're all supporting them. And so, yeah, more, yeah. more nurses need to get involved. Yes. Local school board. You'd be surprised. I mean, oh, gosh, yeah. school board and city council and running for mayor. Hey, yep. county commissioner, great. county commissioners would be huge. Yes. Yeah. Would it be great to have more nurses that, that can speak to those things? Yep. <laughs> I, I'd support it. Again, That's I'm not I running think. for office. <laughs> You'd <laughs> be great. <laughs> no, I'm just the one that goes to city council and introduces things. <laughs> That's me now. It's like they'd be scared to put a microphone in my face. I would just keep talking, talking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was quite, it was quite interesting. We had a, uh, ordinance signed by a mayor introduced to city council to declare racism as a public health threat and um, they signed it but it was quite interesting to be in that meeting because I, you know, I have city council members who are not in healthcare, right um, talk to me as if i didn't know what i was talking about oh wow yeah. um and so knowing that i have to put the credentials out there. I did. And, you know, yeah. um, then the atmosphere changed when they found out that I was actually the president of the organization that was putting forth <laughs> this legislation. And they were like, yeah. oh, um, oh, President Baxter. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, it, it was it was quite interesting. That was a long meeting. That was back when we were on Zoom because of COVID. So everything was on Zoom. Uh -huh. Well, and that was another reason I went for my DMP. Now I go to talk to legislators and you are the expert in the room. They they know, I know I've been there for 30 plus years. So it, it just brings this confidence and, you know, this, so it, it's a, uh, you know, I needed to do it and I'm glad. And like you, when you sit in front of a bunch of legislators and say, I'm the president of this organization and this is what we need. It matters and that you're a nurse that matters it matters and i want to tell our, our nurses you don't have to go back and get your master's you don't have to go back and get your doctorate no, no. because you're the nurse you're the expert you're in healthcare. a lot of the people that sit there aren't healthcare um pr professionals they're maybe bankers yeah. one <laughs> of mine sells real estate one sells insurance i mean they are yeah. not healthcare. And no. nurses, young nurses, you are at the bedside. You know what your patients need. And you have the best opportunity to tell them because everyone, if they haven't been in the hospital themselves, have had a family member or a friend that's been in the hospital and you can really reach them with the story that resonates with them. Right. And, and, and so I, you find that common ground because you can say, well, you know, everyone, you know, someone's been in the hospital. You, you know what it's like to, to have the hospital food and you know that you have to be on a special diet and Mrs. Dash may not be your friend. <laughs> right. And they can even, you know, advocate at the institutional level, level for quality yes. improvements for mm -hmm. that is advocating that is, you know, changing policy 
So that leads to bigger policy changes, a quality improvement at your, you know, local, even your unit level. So just get involved uh, and see how you can always do things, improve things and transform healthcare. So, uh, you know, um, advocacy, regulatory um, advocacy, quality improvement, all of that is being entrepreneurial in spirit and you could be entrepreneurial even on your nine to five job by volunteering for that quality improvement committee um, sh showing up for that special project or solving a problem that your unit is having that maybe the entire hospital can can adopt you never know yeah, so 100%. It's, yeah it's taking charge of your profession so I want to thank you for your time. And um, so you can get a hold of Dr. Sanford at her uh, email, mmm3ms, Sanford at hotmail.com. Or you can, and you can follow her show on Spotify, the Monica Sanford Show. Um, you could also find her on her social media, um, on LinkedIn and other places. I want to thank you for listening to the Nurse Shark Academy show. I'm Tina Baxter. Uh, go ahead and tune in um, to our other shows that are there. And uh, you can find us on Podbean or other places where you get your podcasts on uh, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, etc. You can also follow us on our YouTube channel. Don't forget to hit the like and subscribe button. Thank you for your time. This is the Nurse Shark Academy show. I'm Tina Baxter, your host. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Nurse Shark Academy show wherever you get your podcasts or watching us on YouTube. Don't forget to like and subscribe and don't forget to hit the notification bell so that you'll know when all of our episodes come out. If you want further information, you can contact us on the nurse shark academy.biz.